Welcome to Roadhouse Minute, the podcast where we review the best bad movie of all time, Roadhouse, one minute at a time, and where we always try to be nice until it's time not to be nice. I'm Roger. And I'm Marcy. <laughs> so listen. And I'm prone right now. Like, I'm now in the... The best situation for podcasting ever. Since this is a not a visual media, Marcy, would you care to paint a picture with words? I've always wanted to do this laying down, and finally I am. That so. was not really a picture. That was sort of a rough sketch, like what <laughs> Norman Rockwell does at the beginning of a cover of an evening post. Where are you? What are you doing? I am laying down in bed, and we switched from our last location, which was on a hard chair in the sewing room, into our bedroom so that I could lay down while we do this. Just when we originally started thinking about podcasting, my my only desire was really to have beanbag chairs that I could lounge in while we were doing it. And we decided not to get the beanbag chairs. And I'm excited about making you feel as comfortable as possible unless you fall asleep. That is, it's a possibility. However, it's only four o'clock in the afternoon and usually I take a nap, but I won't fall asleep right now. I will also point out to the listeners since we're going to now, now we're bringing you behind the curtain. We're now wearing our headsets around our necks. Nobody cares about that. You think they care about the fact that you're laying down in the bed? Yeah. It's very interesting. I appreciate the fact. And another inside tip, it took me at least four times to just do the intro to this minute because the current situation seems a little ridiculous to me. I'm not in fact laying in the bed. I'm sitting in a chair next to the bed as though I'm some 1870s country doctor yeah. come to treat you for podcastitis. Yeah. Just like with the last minute, I feel like I'm neglecting the format. This is minute 14. This minute starts with Carrie Ann spreading the good news, and it ends with the gawker getting up to sample the wares. Did you write these yourself? I've written every single one of these, Marcy. Oh my God, Roger. This is IMD perfect. Not only have I written the intro and outro for every minute, but I've also written the paragraph description that's going to go in the liner notes for each episode. Would you like to hear this one just as an example? Wow, sure. I'm not going to do this for every minute because no, it sort of don't. defeats the purpose. So for minute 14, word travels quickly around the double deuce that there's a new sheriff in town and his name is... Dalton. These are great because they're just as not descript as the IMDb page descriptions of whole movies that we've watched. Well, you know, different different movie by minute podcasts take different approaches to the this movie begins and ends with. Some are very just kind of straightforward. I think I tend to hew a little bit closer to what they do in Star Wars Minute, where every one of those sort of has a little element of joke. It is humorous. Um, and it keeps me coming back for more. Oh, yeah. It's a good thing because it's your podcast. Marcy, it's our, our podcast. podcast. Come on. That hurts me a little bit. I don't have that. a double deuce t-shirt. I am you got to get me some paraphernalia. I am wearing the double deuce. So tell you what, would you like to have a laminated sheet with the names of all the characters <laughs> in their pictures? Don't tease me with that because that was one of the things. Would you like to have, have one? not produced. Yes. I don't I have one for that. you. So bad. So I feel like this minute, this if you if you if you wanted to, you could sort of divide this minute into roughly two parts. There's the whole thing where kind of everybody who works in the double deuce talks about the fact that Patrick Swayze is in fact Dalton, and then there's a second part where we get to this incredibly uncomfortable situation with a man and his wife. So let's. Do you think that's his wife? Yes. 
I can tell you that. We'll tell you what. I'll, I'll explain right. when we get to that. Let's. But let's talk about this first. This first exchange where it's sort of like it's like a game of telephone where everybody in the bar is trying to learn uh, Dalton's secret identity, yeah. and of course, guess who is in charge of passing around this information? It's everybody's favorite waitress. Carrie Ann. What do you think? So we get to hear, we are know what Carrie Ann's reaction is. In this minute, we also get to essentially see Hank's reaction, Steve's reaction, and Pat's reaction. What are your thoughts about sort of each one of them? Well, I think everybody's just really buzzing. Like Carrie Ann is clearly all hot to trot on Dalton and feeling super excited about that. I think, I don't remember the names because remember we have that, we don't know we don't have the laminated sheet. Which character are you thinking of now? Well, there's one man that describes how he, how Dalton rips ripped a man's throat out. That's Hank talking to Steve. So let's let's pause okay. and talk about that scene. I have written down here in my notes. This is Hank's best minute in the movie. I love the fact that he explains to Steve what Dalton did, yeah. and then he kind of he does this pantomime thing with his hands oh, yeah. where he it's attempts to kind of simulate what it would happen if you try to rip somebody's throat out. For sure. That's a great moment for him. And he's also, he seems very forceful in his mimicry of ripping somebody's throat out. Which is funny you should bring that up. I have written down here, Hank doesn't really seem to have a good grasp on human anatomy because we will see later on, this is, this is in a sense, this is, this is Chekhov's throat rip. Um, you know what Chekhov's gun is, right? Because you've watched enough movies. You've heard me explain this to you before. Go ahead and do it again. So Chekhov's gun is a screenwriting rule which says, essentially, it's named for Anton Chekhov. If you show somebody a gun in Act 1, it has to go off in Act 3. Oh, and yes. as we know, Hank, if Hank explains how Dalton rips somebody's throat out, someone's going to eventually have to get their throat ripped out. And we know somebody does get their throat ripped out. But if you remember that particular scene... You can't rip somebody's throat out by essentially raking your fingers across their neck. That's not how Dalton does it at all. Yeah, it's much more of a sort of grab and clutch. Yeah, maneuver, so. but I think this is a social situation, <laughs> not a straight-on attack. So I'm going to give Hank, my man here, a little bit of leeway in how he mimics ripping somebody's throat out. Marcy. <laughs> You just described pantomiming ripping somebody's throat out as a social scene. Have you been hanging out in the double deuce for too long? This is a, it's a, what I'm trying to say is like social interaction right now. It's not a full on um, ripping someone's throat out. I understand. Maneuver. So I understand. So you're being very critical about how this man is showing that he ripped somebody's throat out. And I'm saying the man's play acting right now. So how can we really be critical? I understand that. Hank did not actually try to rip Steve's throat out in order to explain to him what it means to rip somebody's throat out. But you're, you're delightful. Don't ever change. Um, and of course, Steve, I, Steve is, you know, remember Steve the other is guy. nonplussed. Yeah. So without using that word, because this is a family-friendly podcast, Steve is not, he's not buying the story. Is nonplussed a bad word? No. What Steve, <laughs> what Steve says in this minute is oh. he says BS. Oh. But he doesn't actually say BS. He says the actual word. Yeah, he doesn't care. And this is the first guy that gets fired, right, Steve? Technically, no. Technically, technically, Morgan is the first person to get fired because Steve actually survives the Dalton's Three Rules house cleaning scene only to get fired the next night for getting in cahoots in the stock room. Yeah, he's Remember more that? than cahoodling that girl. He is. Yes, I just invented a word, cahoodling. cahoodling. Yeah, I appreciate Canoodling that. Canoodling is what I meant to say. 
do you have any thoughts about the exchange between Pat and Morgan? So Pat, the bartender, says to Morgan, quote, the guy at the end of the bar is effing Dalton, man. And then Morgan, as usual, is nonplussed. That's a good word to describe Morgan's feeling about Dalton. Morgan's the bartender? No, Morgan is the curly-haired cooler. Oh, yeah. Pat is the... Pat's the bartender. It's hard to see a lot of reaction out of Pat right there. He just kind of was like, oh, all right. Isn't, no, Pat's the bartender. Pat's the one that's saying. Pat, Pat rolls his eyes a little bit. So you don't think he's impressed either? No. But we know that Pat is. Pat is shady as. Plus, well, he's, he has, he has powerful evil friends. Yes, he does. He's not going to get intimidated by anybody. I will say though, you know, to be fair, in the, in the scene that comes right after the, pantomime non-throat rip pat asks dalton what he wants and dalton as always asks for coffee black i think when pat looks at dalton there's a there's a look of respect oh yeah when pat asks him what he wants i i I think i agree with you that he's not he doesn't think too much of it but i also think he knows that he's dealing with a real guy all right all right you have any other thoughts about sort of the first half of this minute where we where everybody gets to learn about dalton the throat ripper yeah, it's, I mean, it's great that it kind of goes around super fast altogether, you know? I agree. Okay, so we have to spend, I think, the last half of this minute talking about what I think is a really uncomfortable scene, but we're going to enjoy talking about it, I hope. Um, this is, of course, the breasts kissing scene, or not kissing, as it turns out. I think out of all the scenes in this movie, this is probably the one that makes me feel the most uncomfortable in terms of the way that women are treated. And as we're going to hear sort of in a future minute, our director, Rowdy Harrington, feels the same way. Mm-hmm. I wrote in my notes here, I wonder what people thought about this scene in 1989. So we're going to be talking a lot about this scene. It goes into the next minute uh, of this week. Uh, but do you have any, just what are your initial thoughts up top about this whole money-making boondoggle? Well, I mean, it's super oogie. He, this, this dude... Um, that's offering up his lady friend's breasts is, you know, not a attractive person and is kind of like slimy in the way he's going about it. I and, agree with you. And completely like, you know, here's, uh, yeah. So in the credits, you were asking before, like, how do we know that these people are married? They are listed. They are part of the proud collection of people in Roadhouse who don't have names. They just have titles in the credits describing mm-hmm. what they are. So he is called Sharing Husband, oh. and she is called Well-Endowed Wife. Well, Do you have any thoughts about those credit names? Just just the fact that they refer to him as Sharing Husband. I mean, thank you for showing me a picture of Well-Endowed Wife. I'm going to give the screenwriters the benefit of the doubt and say that they're using the term Sharing Husband ironically. Oh, for sure. Um, but I was just showing you this because his left hand does not have a wedding ring on it. So that's where I was questioning. He's also, he also has his watch on so that the clasp is in the back and the face is in the front, which could have been something that they did because they didn't want to have to like sponsor a watch because for this dude's, you know, one a couple seconds of a close-up of his hand. Maybe they didn't want to pay for a watch. But, it, you know, I it's just, yeah, it's just nasty. Like, the the idea of ownership over her breasts so that somebody else can, you know, he can make money off of somebody else kissing her breasts is grody. 
Why do you think, and again, we're going to talk a lot more about this in the next minute, because the next minute is really sort of where most of this transaction takes place. Why do you think that she is willing to agree to this um, pretty ridiculous plan? Well, I think people have all sorts of motivations. Like, she might think that this is really fun. She might be the one that needs the money and is okay with, you know, some random dude touching her. She might... And like I said, she might find that it's really fun, a kind of adventure. Maybe they don't have a very interesting love life, and she's interested in other men, you know? And so there we go with, like, you know, a little bit of controlled freedom for her from this man that's a little yucky. That's an interesting thought, Marcy. You did a nice little bit of world building then. Do you have any thoughts about the fact that he refers to her breasts as attitudes, as in ever seen a pair of attitudes like this? He says that? Yo, yes. That's a weird phrase. I have it in the script, and I definitely heard it, and I saw it in the subtitles. His line is, ever seen a better pair of attitudes? I I didn't pick up on that, but it falls into that category of, like, some weird phraseology that they use in this movie. Like moose lips. I have never heard attitudes in respect to breasts. I have not. I have not either, for sure. But, you know, I would just note the thing that I find ultra creepy about the beginning of this is just the way that he touches her breasts is like, I don't know, there's something very oogie about his hand on her. Yeah, I mean, especially given the fact somehow he's managed to turn, well, the fact that it's happening in public is obviously incredibly oogie that he would choose to touch his, his wife's breasts in that way. The fact that he's able to take what should be a tender moment and turn it into a public spectacle, I think is what makes it really oogie. And the way he does it, too, is just kind of weird. Yeah, but, you know, on the flip side of that, she's clearly not resistant to this at all. Like, she's right in there, like, giving them facial signals, keeping herself in that moment. And so, you know, it's not like she's she's being forced into this. So whether we think that he's oogie or not, like she's also giving no indication that this is not something that she wants to do. No, I totally agree. And if you look at the way that this is shot, which I can see now, cause you showed it to me a couple of times. I mean, this is a nice two shot. It's almost like if, if you were to clip that off as a screenshot for this minute, they're being shot right next to each other. Yeah. Almost as if they had set up like, uh, a booth at a local fair like maybe this is their hustle and maybe like well it's clearly their hustle yeah okay so this is their hustle right and so whatever we're thinking about how ookie it is it's like well you know these two people are in cahoots with having this hustle here you keep using that phrase i'm not sure that we can use it in that particular way anymore well it, being in cahoots is doing something together of knowledge not anymore on this podcast marcy being cahoots is an entirely different interaction between a man and a woman at least well we got to redefine it then i like it the way it is now fine okay the last part of this minute we would not be doing ourselves we would not be doing this movie justice if we did not talk about the reaction from uh, a man who again what's his name in the credits he is listed in the credits simply as gawker And that is the man. I'll tell you what. Uh, So we both like to listen to Bill Simmons' movie podcast, The Rewatchables. And there is a award that they give to every movie, uh, which is uh, called 
Uh, it's had various names, but it's essentially the award for overacting. If I was going to give the award to Roadhouse for overacting, I might pick this guy, even though he doesn't have a name. So I'll tell you what, if, if you're up for a little bit of home theater, here's what I'd like to do. What happens is the sharing husband explains his proposition. So he, he explains his offer. And then the gawker responds with a fantastic line. Uh, and if you're willing, I'd like each one of us to try to do our own best line reading of Gawker, and we'll we'll let the fans judge who's done it better. I'll, we'll take turns playing sharing husband. The sharing husband line is, for 20 bucks, you can kiss him. Would you like to be Gawker first or sharing husband first? Gawker. Okay, so I will be sharing husband. For 20 bucks, you can kiss him. Really? <laughs> <laughs> All right. First off, you got the line wrong. Oh, no. And you did something strange with your mouth, but that's okay. Hey, great artist open door interpretation. You didn't tell me what the line was. You just watched it for say what that didn't happen. Okay. Do you want to do it again? Yeah. It's funny the way you did it. It's good audio. Well, But if you want to do it again, we can. For 20 bucks, you can kiss him. Are you kidding? All right. Uh, All right. Now I'll do it. You seem to have done something strange with your voice just then. Let's see if you can do it. All right. For 20 bucks, you can kiss them. Are you kidding? I will have to let the fans decide. I think I won. You did do something clever with your voice just then. Okay. Before we finish and we talk a little bit about what's in the script, are you up for playing a little game of say what? Sure. Okay. What I would like you to do because this is, follows right on what we were just talking about. I'd like you to tell me what it is in response to Gawker's line of, are you kidding? I'd like you to tell me what does sharing husband say in return? I think he says, get a kiss here now. That's pretty good. That's that's close. You, really? you've, been, you've been having a perfect batting average. You're close. The actual line is 10 a kiss here and now. Oh, 10 a kiss. That's why it's 20. Okay. Let's move to jukebox corner. So now that Cody is back in the saddle again, during this whole scene, we are listening uh, to him play the song Long Tall Sally, which was written by Robert Bumps Blackwell, uh, Inotris Johnson, and Richard Pennyman. I want to throw a little piece of trivia at you. Do you know Richard Pennyman's much more famous stage name? Is it Tom Petty? No, good guess. Tell you what, you're working with the wrong part of the name there. Richard Pennyman. This is a song from the 50s or 60s. Oof, no. That's Little Richard. Little Richard. What do you think about the song Long Tom Sally? This is being performed, of course, oh, by the Jeff Healy Band. I do love that song. I do too, and I think this is a great performance of the yeah. song. So kudos to him. All right, uh, for character actor spotlight in this minute, we're going to talk a little bit about Hank, since this is, as I said before, I think this is this minute is really Hank's to shine with his mm. elaborate side, not throat ripping maneuver. So what do we know about Hank? Um, he's a young bouncer at the Double Deuce. He seems really eager to learn how to do a good job. Uh, he seems to maybe kind of be lacking confidence when Dalton mm. arrives on the scene, which doesn't surprise me. I mean, if he's been under the careful tutelage of Morgan, he was probably not taught how to be a very good bouncer. But I would say by the end of this movie, he's he's evolved into a, a pretty competent and well-put-together bouncer. What do you think about the character of Hank? I, I, I agree with you that he is somebody that has a lot of potential but needs a little bit of an upstanding tutelage person to become a protege of. 
I think out of all the bouncers, probably Hank, maybe Jack, which is, he's sort of the larger one. Mm-hmm. I think out of all the bouncers underneath Dalton, that, that Hank is probably the one that maybe we're supposed to kind of get attached to or like the best. Yeah, That's nice. the way I feel anyway. I like his energy. I like that he's wearing a t-shirt with no sleeves, but he's not wearing something stupid like the man next to him. You mean Steve who's wearing Steve. his, his, um, what croco- is, it's like a crocodile hunter shirt. What is that? It, it's kind of like a Barney rubble situation. It doesn't really have a collar to it. It's kind of like, doesn't have sleeves, doesn't have collar, comes down on a, a very low V-neck. That's dumb. I, I've described. <laughs> well, you are our fashion critic, Marcy, and I can always tell when the outfit is not working because you just simply say, that's dumb. That's dumb. And your voice goes down <laughs> about a half an octave when you say, that's dumb. <sighs> so... I have said in a previous minute, I don't know if it was last week with Pete or if it was previously with you, Steve in this scene kind of looks like he raided Indiana Jones's wardrobe and then cut all the sleeves off all the shirts. Yeah. That's kind of what his what he's rocking right now. And I agree with you. It's not a good look. There's a lot of beige and khaki in the double deuce right now. There is. There's, there's, the whole scene is just kind of brown. So brown. maybe it's camouflage. I mean, we know that the last thing Steve wants to do is to actually have to do his job. So yeah. maybe if he wears brown, he can just like blend into the wall until the, until the next 18-year-old girl walks by that he can hit on. There you go. It's possible. Marcia, are you ready to do a little crowd surfing? Yeah. All right. Well, you went first last time. So I think it's my turn to go first this time. And I'm going to pick, so you're going to have to scroll ahead to it about 42 seconds. What I have written down here is at, at about 1342, there's a guy to the left of the bandstand with a white undershirt and a loosely fitting blue shirt. And he's doing something fantastic with his dance moves. I don't know how to describe oh, it. Yeah, I see that. So you, you got to watch. He's 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 sort of stage right. He's Tell you got what, a little since, wiggle. Since I pointed it out to you, do you think you could describe what he's doing? Well, he's got a wiggle in there that he brings down towards his knees. He like doubles over. Oh, and wiggles and shimmies with his shoulders. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say if you've chosen not to button your shirt. A shimmy move that causes half of it to fall off is probably not making you look a whole lot better. Yeah. Marcy, who are you picking for crowd serving this week? I, Because I'm not allowed to pick the man with no shirt on again. We've already I'm picked him twice. I'm going to pick the... There's another fantastic hat, and it's in the same scene that you picked, Roger. He's just um, to the bottom left of you, where you picked, and it's somebody that's got like a red bowler hat on. It's actually, it looks kind of like a red scully beanie, don't you think? What that's is what it that? is. I think he's wearing a red and blue scully that kind of looks like it's got a bullseye target it's on it. It's got a yellow rim all the way around it. It's so weird. And his whole body, all the only thing that's moving is his head. He's just bebopping around with his head. Well, as we've said before, he's probably drunk. I appreciate you calling an audible on that one, because if we had picked oh, no shirt, all pecs man, that would have been the third time he's been picked so far. And I think once you do well, that, once you do that, they have to give you a sad card. You take your, you take your clothes off like that. You get a lot of attention. No doubt. I picked him. Pete picked him on the minute right after I picked him. And then you were just uh, about to pick him. Well, well, let's take a look at this minute according to Dalton's three rules. Rule number one, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Is there anything in this minute that you feel like people 
did not expect or did a good job of expecting? Well, I think they didn't expect that they're going to have Dalton in their midst. That's exactly what I wrote down. You know, here's something new. And this, the do this says, oh, really? No. Really? <laughs> um, he is not expecting that he's going to be able to kiss some breasts tonight. You know, that's exactly my notes. I can't add anything to that, except I realize now what you were doing before when we were having our gawker off. You kind of turned him into a Muppet. I think a little bit little by bit. accident. It was brilliant. Things I will, happen. I will doff my chapeau to you and concede and say that you won the gawker off. Thank you. Rule number two, take it outside. Never start anything in the bar. No, this whole minute takes place inside the double deuce. So let's talk about nice. Were the people in this minute nice? Uh, Yeah. Let's do the first half of the minute first. So clearly Steve, as usual, is his foul mouthed, not nice self. When Hank tries to explain to him that Dalton can rip your throat out and uh, Steve says BS. Yeah. It's not very nice. Yeah. But Hank, Hank seems excited. I, Carrie Ann seems excited. I think Pat is very nice and professional, offering Dalton whatever he wants, which is yeah. always coffee black. Yeah. So I guess we just have to consider the second half of the minute. How, where would you put this into the nice Well, scale? offering husband and breasty woman our breasty wife are both very nice in trying to scam people out of money for being able to touch her breasts. That's an interesting, the way that you just use the words nice and scam in the same sentence. Yeah. Well, you have to be, uh, you have to, you have to like endear yourself to other people if you're going to scam them. I have, I've written in my notes, the sharing husband is dot, dot, dot. Nice. With a question mark. He's certainly very courteous in this minute, at least. No, he's not courteous. He's ingratiating. What's the difference? It, it has a layer of smarm when you are ingratiating. Oh, so he's courteous, but with smarmy ulterior motives. You got that right. And slightly insincere. Yeah. Okay, it's fair enough. Because he's trying to scam him. Well, thank you once again for listening to another episode of Roadhouse Minute. Please, if you can, rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app. Come and join us on Facebook at The New Double Deuce. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at, at @rhminute, And you can email us at daltonsaysbenice at gmail.com. So remember, until next time, be nice. Bye now. Bye.